The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, it's Mike Gilland and Afternoons with Mike, heard daily here on the Shepherd Radio Network. With me today on this Friday, uh, I think you're going to enjoy this program. For the first couple of segments, I've got Kevin McCarthy. No, not the former speaker, Kevin W. McCarthy, as he's known. And he is on my show regularly, and it is so great to have him back, Mr. On purpose. Well, Here you, you are, man. Welcome back. Thank you. And and I jokingly say I'm not even the speaker in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I know you've taken a lot of ribbing and a lot of jokes have been uh, at your expense on your name over these past couple of years. But now anyone named Mike Johnson is going to have to go through the same thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I don't have a Mike Johnson friend, but if I did, I'd write to him and give them advice. Yeah, I actually know a Michael Johnston, Johnson. Yeah. And so, uh, but uh, I don't live in the same city as he any longer. But uh, the, I'm, I'm so happy to have you here. You were with us not that long ago. And we had what I consider to be an important conversation. I say important because it deals with things, and I want to touch basis on that again uh, and kind of do a little bit of a review. It deals with things that we're all called to do. Jesus, as he's ready to ascend into heaven, looked at those that were with him on that day, and he said, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, the the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, I have always thought about how odd Samaria was to be included in that list. But the truth of it is, it was really an important inclusion because it represents areas that we really wouldn't otherwise want to go or want to be. For a Jewish person hearing that, there was not a lot of love lost between Samaritans and the Jews. But we are called to have conversations about the Lord with people that we would just as soon not have those conversations with. And your con, uh, I guess you could call it your phrase that you've attributed to this living water conversations. That also reminds me of Jesus and the woman at the well, of course. Sure. And she's from Samaria. So it's yeah, exactly. Samaria. And and so, yeah, the idea here is, Mike, that, uh, I mean, first of all, you've given a wonderful context that Jesus is in, sort of, for lack of better words, hostile territory. It'd be like a uh, an Israeli being in Gaza right, right now. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, and, and, yeah. And Boy, some, that's a timely uh, metaphor right there. Right. And so somebody shows up and and they're thirsty and he says, I can give you water so you'll never be thirsty again. What he didn't say, I think it's more important what he didn't say, is he didn't quote the Torah. He met the Samaritan woman at the well with her need, with an understanding, without condemnation, out of love, and he met her at her point of need, mm -hmm. where I think what happens for many of us in the Christian community, we have this awkwardness about quote-unquote evangelism where we're told to go make disciples and we're not really even sure we're a disciple. 
That's right. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so how do we have these conversations or am I equipped to do that? Or, you know, what can I say? Or I don't know my Bible all that well. Uh, what, I, you know, they feel like it's, it's uh, biblical gymnastic or judo, you know, this, this, I've got a count point counterpoint and they've got to argue yeah, it right. where in fact, uh, if you really look at what a living water conversation is, it's a series of questions. It's just asking somebody questions. So, you know, he, he might've said to her, you know, what are you doing here in the afternoon? You know, where are you, when do you normally gather water? I mean, mm -hmm. there were, we don't know what the whole conversation was. But the, we, we do know in the conversation, he said, I can give you water so you'll never be thirsty again. And she said, where do I get this water? So in a way, he stimulated her thirst yeah. for a deeper spiritual truth. But he didn't, she didn't understand it was a spiritual truth he was talking about. She was dealing in the physical and he was dealing in the spiritual. And I think that's the essence of a living water conversation. It's this ability to have a spiritual conversation in a real world environment that's relevant to that person. Now that means we have to have our antenna up to who they are, their needs, what's going on. You know, it's kind of like I um, in the business world, we talk about elevator speeches and I've never liked the term elevator speech because what it is, is it's a pitch. And it has nothing, it's the same pitch regardless of who's in front of you. Where It's not I, mindful of the people. It's not mindful of the person yeah, you're talking right. to. So you're just blurting out, yeah. okay? And, and what I'd like to do is, if you're in an elevator, you can size somebody up. Are they male? Are they female? Are they young? Are they old? Are they dressed, you know, prop, you know in some sort of proper way for like a business suit in that sense? Or are they in jeans and cutoffs or, you know, you can gather a lot of information in an elevator about how you're going to talk to somebody. And so at some level, I'd like to talk about a, what I call a do-do dialogue. And so somebody says, what do you do? A do-do dialogue. Do -do dialogue. I've learned this about you, Kevin. You have a lot of bathroom and <laughs> No, no, so. you got to hear this one out. <laughs> the the do-do dialogue is when when you're at a party or you're at an event, yeah. or you're at a church, and, and somebody says, what do you do? And, you know, Mike, what, if I said, what do you do? Right. You would probably say, well, I have a radio show, and I do, you know, da, mm -hmm. da, da, da. And they'd say, well, that's interesting. Or somebody would say, I'm an accountant or I'm a lawyer. Right. We describe our job. But instead, what I want people, what I would love for you to do is to say, take their do. What do you do? And turn it into a question that says, do you know how people who are driving in their cars and they're listening to the radio and they're preoccupied with something that's going on in their mind and they feel lost and alone? Now, that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, that's that was very good. You, okay. you certainly got my attention. And somebody says, yeah. I mean, they're like, yeah, yeah I relate sure. to that. Well, I minister to them through radio programs that I do. Um, and, and because they're likely to say, well, how do you do that? And now you have the permission. You ha you've engaged. Yeah, and, that's and, a great point. And then what happens is you can say, do you relate? 
and they'll say, no, I don't relate. I don't listen to the radio. I'm, I'm on Apple, you know, uh, music or I'm on Spotify or I'm on, you know, they're doing whatever mm -hmm. it is. I don't relate. But yeah, but at some level, they, they kind of are going, yeah, but I've listened to the radio in the past and I've driven in my car feeling kind of lost and alone. And I do relate, even though it's not radio that I'm listening to, perhaps. Is that sacrilegious to say that here on the radio? Not at all. No, <laughs> I get it. I mean, it, it, you know, you're exactly but, but right. Podcasts, they're listening to a podcast. Yeah. They listen to us on a podcast. Right. So it, is, it gives an opportunity for them to say, wow, I, I want to lean into this man and find out a little bit more about what he does. But then you turn it around and say, do you relate to that? And they'll say yes or no. And if they say yes, they've, they are now, and then you can say, why do you relate to that? And now what's happened is you've gone into a deeper, more personal conversation with permission. Mm -hmm. That's great. And, and that last part, with permission, is one of the most helpful things because it's so much easier to talk to somebody if they are engaged in that moment. Yeah. And and I I don't care whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, a school teacher, a, a garbage man, you know, pickup guy. What do they call them now today? Sanitary workers, yeah. uh, whatever it may be. You, it's um, you can have conversations, but what it says is you've thought about how your work makes a difference in people's lives, and so that begins a living water conversation. In much the same way, you can now turn it around and ask them, "Tell me about you." Yeah. How do you make a difference in the world? I really like the in your example that you gave the way you really kind of turned it around and you used a question to then present the bigger picture as to what that purpose is aiming for. Right. And that would be that person's state. Now, what do you do for people? Because I've experienced this, Kevin, and I'll be honest with you. You know, when you you have the subject of living water conversations having to do with evangelism. And to so many people, that E word right there, evangelism, is it's almost like a dreaded word. They are not comfortable with it. They are immediately hit with an image of street witnessing and passing out flyers on, on a street corner, etc. But the truth of it is, is that there are a lot of people who maybe were at one point in their life and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I've got uh, all my fingers pointing back at me right now. I can think of a time when I was passionate about evangelism. And now at times I find myself having to remind myself of its importance and that I need to be on guard. So I think a lot of people need to start this whole concept, not with what they're going to say or how they're going to say, but the fact that they need to say something, they need to be thinking this, this way. And that's our first step to having a living water conversation with somebody is to realize I need to have a living water conversation with somebody, right? It is. And part of it too is, is we've not been trained on this. Uh, we've been trained to throw tracks or to throw scripture. And I, I will just say from my own experience, okay, I'm, I did not, grow up in a Christian environment, okay, are, that, that's another story for another day. Um, it wasn't that we were anti-Christian, it's that my father was Roman Catholic, my mother was Episcopalian, and back then when they married, he was excommunicated from the church, and she said, I want nothing to do with a church that would excommunicate somebody for falling in love with somebody who is a person of faith. 
And so there was this, you know, we just didn't grow up going to church because yeah. that was the way it was. And yet my mother and father had a wonderful marriage and loved one another, but church wasn't a part of our. Now we celebrated Easter and Christmas as holidays, not really holy days, okay? <laughs> now they didn't reject uh, God necessarily in no. that at all. They just, the the local church, the local uh, uh, fellowship was, uh, you know, kind of rejecting them. And that sadly is the kind of, uh, situation that a lot of people are in. Right. And so as a result, for me, not growing up in the church, I had this deep search in my own life for something meaningful, something was missing. And ultimately, after searching many different things, um, I I ended up getting married and my wife said she wanted to have a Christian marriage. And so I said, okay, that means going to church on Sunday morning, right? And she goes, yeah. And so we ended up going to church. And what I discovered in the church, because I'd been a student of self-help literature, uh, I discovered that the Bible was the original source for everything I had read on self-help literature. So all of a sudden, from a pure intellectual point of view, I understood that I was now at the source material as opposed to the derivative Mm -hmm. material. To put it in sort of you know uh, classical educational terms, yeah, it's okay, source material, right? That's, it's kind of right. like if I could read Greek to be able to read the Bible in Greek as opposed to yeah. the, the King James, okay. So for me, as a self-help guru, I sat there r- literally saying, okay, source material um, for all this work. Uh, I'm going to dig into it because I want to understand it. Mm-hmm. There was nothing spiritual going on. Let me tell you, mm-hmm. from my perspective, okay, yeah. <laughs> But what I realized is, how do I reach people like me? As I became a Christian, uh, and Jesus went from my head to my heart, I then realized, how do I reach back and get me at age 28, 29, 30, who had no zero interest in the church, had no biblical background? The Bible was an irrelevant relic as far as I was concerned Mm -mm -mm. that had nothing of any importance or value to me. And yet I would talk to Christians and they would say, well, do you know what it says in John? And they'd quote me scripture and I'd go, you might as well be speaking Russian to me. Mm. It just doesn't mean anything to me. So I, I, I recognized early in my life this need, how do I bridge that now as a Christian, and particularly now as a mature Christian, some 30 some odd years later, how do we bridge this gap to reach a really a generation that is becoming extraordinarily unchurched, generations even, of unchurched, un, uh, where the Bible is just truly gathering dust. Yeah, that's right. They don't even have a, a rudimentary understanding of a lot of the Bible stories. Right. So it's some level, and again, it, this is not without precedence. Look at the Bible stories Jesus taught in parables. Mm-hmm. Jesus you know, demonstrated to us, look, meet people where they are. Don't just pull out a scripture slap it down on the Samaritan woman or hand her a track and say, here, yeah, yeah. now you're saved. It's not that easy. There's a, there's a desire. There's a desire to have a relationship. It doesn't have to be a long relationship. But it, at that point, with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, he built a relationship with her. He yeah. crossed the bridge. You know, there's something that I think we all need to remind ourselves, and that that is perhaps one of the simplest explanations. We have to be reminded in our life that we this is an important thing. It's an important thing to God. 
it should be important to us. But that's where we often lose that, uh, that sense of this conversation or the need for it, is that we forget how important it is that we be engaged. It's one thing when we're talking to somebody if they're engaged, but I'd like to just say to all of us that are listening that are believers, maybe for a long, long time, it's easy. You know, you put water into a, a, a leaky bucket, all of that water is going gonna, is gonna to be gone before long. And I found a long time ago that that's a real good metaphor for my life, my heart, mm-hmm. my understanding, my walk uh, in every way. And because I'm human, I'm a leaky bucket. Mm-hmm. And all of this good stuff that we're talking about today will not stay in my heart. It's not going to be sealed up in like a Tupperware container. It's not going to happen. It's going to leak out. Yeah, we have to. Ref- I think what you're really describing is the living water is going to flow out. Yeah, and uh, it's going to have to be replenished. And I, I agree with you. That's we a great have to be analogy. refilled, mm-hmm. refilled. And I think the importance of that is got to be seen. And that's why we need fellowship. That's why people need to go back if they've stayed at home because of COVID. I'm convinced you really need to pray about this, friends. Go back to church. Because, you know, as my friend John Stenberger told me one time, he said, you know, you can be in Eastern religions somewhere in Tibet or whatever, wherever, and, uh, uh, and be in Nirvana sitting alone on a mountaintop. But, but a believer has got to be with other people. If we're believers in Jesus, we've got to have that fellowship. Because without that fellowship, without this iron sharpening iron, we will forget this message of the importance of having a living water conversation with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. Yes. And the other part of it too is again, uh, there's, there's, I think at the bottom, bottom, bottom line of all of this is do you love other people? And I think of the great commandment where God, you know, where Jesus is asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And in this are all the laws and the prophets wow. fulfilled. That's beautiful. And so, you know, if we're not loving, and, and and that means loving that homeless guy, loving that whatever it may, you know, uh, loving that person who wronged you and um, forgiving that person that wronged you. I mean, I have oh, a story of that. I mean, where I was robbed out of a business uh a partner embezzling, a partner doing all sorts of bad things. And I was turning down the bitter path. And what mm. I found was um, the scripture that, and I always twist it around, but it's where your heart, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Yeah, will be also. And um, I was losing my treasure. And so I was also losing my heart. Yeah. We got to keep those things in focus because again, friends. Our hearts are leaky buckets. Kevin McCarthy is my guest. We'll be right back with Kevin in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144. 
or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Kevin McCarthy is my guest. Kevin is the on-purpose guy. He's been up here before. My goodness, I think the first time we had you up was probably in 2020. It was in that uh, time frame. You know, I was talking to somebody and I wondered, uh, in fact, it was Robbie Harper. I had him on my program this week. And Robbie was talking about the fact that the uh, whole COVID experience did not deter his new business, which he had started about four years earlier, but they actually thrived during, and the, his business grew during COVID. I thought that was really great. That's shows you're really on purpose. If <laughs> a major global calamity does not shut you down, but instead you grow, not everybody had that story, did they? Well, I mean, he was certainly, because he's in the public relations field, mm -hmm. a lot of people were having to get a lot of messages out during that time. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the whole thing of taking lemonade, uh, lemons and making lemonade out of it, as the old joke goes. But that's uh, a few people did that. I think Walmart grew a lot because they were an essential business in places like that where there are big box stores. And you would think, well, even in a pandemic, people are going to have to eat. So uh, yeah, that's what happened. It's amazing. Our son Charles has a uh, metal fabricating and welding business up in Sanford called McCarthy Fabrication. And during the COVID, he called me in great distress because it looked like he was going to have to close the business down. And I asked him what he was grateful for. And he told me he thought it was a stupid question and hung up the phone. <laughs> and then a week later, <laughs> calls me and says, Dad, I, I put together a hand sanitizer stand that I submitted to Amazon and they're going to, well, they listed it. And uh, in, for a relatively, a really small business, I mean, they were doing about $800,000 a year worth of business at that point. They did two and a half million dollars worth of sales over the next five months. Get out of here. And um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it was written up in I4 magazine and I mean, it's just an amazing story of how he was able to pivot and he was ahead of the supply chain because he could produce handstands in a day. Yeah. Uh, or hand sanitizer stands in a day. Yeah. And people just need, you know, the, the supply chain was coming from China, which was 16 weeks. So he had 16, 18 week run where he just flat out uh, killed it. He grabbed a hold of the market. He did. And, you know, I think that is just that perfect example of how sometimes what we look at as adversity and I know that you're uh, you're going to be on Mark's show, Mark's uh, Mark Goldstein's program tomorrow, and that uh, is the Shepherd at Work. And on that program, we've already recorded it. On that program, you talk about this principle that really is kind of a descriptive of what your son went through. And I always have to be very careful when I say it because I, it's just one of those words that is would be fraught with opportunities to blow it. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. But the concept that you came up with is called tough shift. And that's what happens when someone 
is tossed an opportunity in life, it might be described differently by a lot of people. as like the worst thing that ever happened to me. Some people would say that. Or they get a diagnosis. Or they they go to, to their job that day in 2020, and they find out they're being furloughed or completely cut loose. That happened to a lot of people. Happened to some people we know. Yeah, the tough shift is a really important uh, concept because there's both these tough shift events, but there's also, as we'll be talking about with Mark, the process of is all tough shift is also a process for how to get through. Now, obviously, it comes really, really close to a, ver- a vulgar expression. And that was by design, because if somebody were to if you're going through a difficult time and somebody were to say to you, the, that, that the vulgar thing. expression. Yeah, right, right. We won't go there. It would yeah. be it would be akin to saying, I don't care about you. Yeah. And but if if there's and it's like putting a period at the end of a sentence where it, a, a harsh period where when you say, Oh, it's just a tough shift, and there's an ellipsis, it's to be continued. It's I'm in a process mm-hmm. as opposed to the end of a process. Now there's hope as opposed to despair. Yeah. And, and you know, we talk about that in this program that you're going to be able to hear tomorrow. If you're in Orlando, that will be on at 10.05. If you're in Gainesville or Ocala, that program will be on tomorrow at 9.05 in those cities. And this program with Kevin talks about seven uh, important aspects of this principle. So why don't you describe those just for a little bit? Well, the seven questions are uh, in in real fast order. Is life meaningful? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Where am I going? What should I do? Or really, what can I do? What's important? And how can I make a difference? Mm. And by asking these questions in that order, you're able to process through a tough shift event and and so it really starts off that if life is meaningful, then that sets the foundation for hope. If life, if you believe that life is meaningless, then at some point you are in a hopeless place. And I really can't help you, mm-hmm. except for the fact that I can say you can choose a place of hope. So try it on. Just try on life is meaningful. From that, you can ask the question then, who am I, which is your identity, And that helps you begin to narrow down because if life is meaningful, then you are meaningful. Then who are you in the midst of all of this? There's this great open-ended question about that. And then the source of your identity is God. And then the next question is, why do I exist? Which is purpose, which is narrowing it down even further to a very specific understanding of why you exist. And I do two-word purpose statements for, for people to do that. Then we begin to sort of expand out, which is to say, well, you know, where am I going? Which is casting a vision. There's something in your mind, whether it was a dream that was lost when you were a child or maybe something that you see right now. And there can have dreams or visions in different areas of your life. Uh, So then you say, well, that's the vision. This is why I'm here. That's the vision. And then the next question is, you know, what can I do? Which is the missions. These are the activities that you can be about. And uh, so for somebody that maybe is in high school, let's say they say, well, I'd like to go to college and I'd like to be a doctor. My vision is to be a doctor. Well, I can go to college. I get an undergraduate degree in 
uh, pre-med and then I go to medical school and they, they see a, a, a very clear path. Um, then the next place is, you know, what's important in mm -hmm. terms of my values. And if we haven't clarified our values, then as we're going into medical school, just to use that term and that, that, that example, we, we then have to look at it and say, well, how am I going to choose a medical school based on what the values are? Is this a medical school that basically upholds the Hippocratic Oath or um, are they not? How are they dealing with different political issues that are mm -hmm. going on in our times? I mean, you begin to look at it and say, is that, is that a place where I want to get an education because it might challenge my, my, my Christian beliefs? Yeah. Uh, so these are the sort of things that you begin to look at. And then finally, how can I make a difference? And what happens is now you've been equipped, you've been moving in that direction. And now you look at it and say, aha, I can make a difference because I can contribute to the well-being of society, to what I call serving the common good mm -hmm. as opposed to the greater good. Yeah. The, the common good is all ships rise with an incoming tide. The greater good is my ship rises um, and yours stay down. That's because the greater good is something that fascists use to put people down. Mm -hmm. So again, a lot of people don't understand the difference in that language, but use the common good language. It's, it's actually the language that's in the constitution of the United States. Or another way to think of the common good is the common wealth or the common well-being. Mm. And of course, we know that a lot of our states would would have, uh, like Kentucky, is a commonwealth. Or I grew up in Pennsylvania. It's a yes, commonwealth. That's right. So we have this loss that's happening in our country, and it's seen in things like that. We, we've just lost a great sense of our history. We've lost a great sense of appreciation for words, etymology, and all of the, uh, the just the importance of meaning, but that's what really you're all about. I mean, that's something that God's placed on your heart. Even these seven questions that we can ask ourselves in the middle of what uh, could be described, your, your fun phrase for it is tough shift, but it could be just a, a calamity. It could be a, a job loss. Again, it could be a diagnosis, but it uh, is a fiery trial. And all of these things, sometimes just like your, the example of your son, when it looks like things are going to go completely south, you might lose the business. Instead, you rocket all the way to the bank for the next, two, the next five months. That's quite a turnaround, but, but that is the path that God leads a lot of people. It is. And I think that the important part is go, actually going back to that, the, the part of the conversation about the meaning of words. The reason that words are so important is you can go to Genesis 1 and you can go to 1 John. And in the beginning was the word, okay? And mm -hmm. God used words to create. Yes, he did. Okay. And in John 1, 1 14, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. And that's Jesus. Well, in the beginning was the word and Mike was made. Mm. Kevin was made. God created us with words. He spoke the word. He mm. breathed into us. So I think when we begin to, to lose the meaning of words, we lose a lot. Um, you know, sort of even to the idea of the living water language that we were talking about earlier. A lot of people talk about, oh, I'm looking for passion in my life. Yeah. I want you to something. Yeah. What they don't realize is passion is a word that means to suffer. 
It means to pay the price. You know, I'm willing to pay the price. uh, It's not all just rosy. Right. There's some stuff to that that, I mean, you think even crimes of passion has been described. Mm Mm-hmm. Where something do people do something terrible in the middle of that passion, right? And so these are the sort of things that I think as we start to look at words, and then why purpose is so meaningful to me because whenever you have a two word purpose statement, you now have a deep understanding of of how God made you, mm-hmm. and that is a place of strength that. I really want people to have and know, and I'm pa- that's where I'm willing to pay the price or I'm passionate yeah. about people knowing their purpose. Now, this concept that you really has taken over your professional life in a really great way. I mean, you're, uh, Mark referred to you as the professor of on purpose. I thought that was great. Uh, you know, the, there has to be uh, an ongoing, let's say, sustenance about this to keep it fresh, to keep this so much at the center of your drive and your heart. What, When you look back at that, what were some of the early things as you discovered this concept? What were some of the early things that really, really put you on this path for a long time? Well, I'm a business guy, first of all, and so I'm a strategist and I make my career doing strategy. And what I realized in the 1980s when I was really looking at some strategy work for some clients is I recognized something was missing. And what was missing, I discovered, was purpose. Back then, people would talk about mission statements, which is what you do. And uh, what a purpose statement does is it describes who you are. Hmm. And so I began to really dig into that. And I realized that nobody was talking about purpose back then. And so I would, I began to really get curious about it. Well, you know, fast forward now, 33 years later, a lot of people are talking about purpose now, but unfortunately it's very confused. So the, the, for instance, a lot of people talk about being purpose-driven and the truth is we're not purpose-driven. Purpose does not drive. It'd be like drive. It'd be like saying that God drives. God doesn't drive. God calls. So we are purpose called. And when we have our two-word purpose, that's like having our name or our understanding our identity mm-hmm. so that when God calls, we actually hear our name called. Yeah. So they confuse this word. What, what other words do they confuse purpose with? Yeah. Well, they use purpose, vision, and mission almost synonymously. Values, they don't confuse. I mean, values tend to stand. People understand what those are. But Purpose, mission, and vision are always confused. In fact, it's so funny because a lot of times I look at Fortune 100 companies <clears throat> about page. Mm-hmm. And it'll say our purpose. And then it says our vision is to da 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 da. I mean, it's just, it's almost humorous once you sort of understand the difference between purpose, vision, mission, and values. It's like a huge sidestep, right? It is. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's very reasonable to me why they get sidetracked. Mm-hmm. They're off purpose because yeah. they don't know what purpose is. And yet this could be a company that's doing hundreds of billions of dollars worth yeah. of business. Yeah. And they're off purpose. But they I just imagine how much more successful financially they could be uh, or what a bigger difference they could be making in the world if they actually knew their purpose. But the problem with purpose is that you'll find in most of the corporate communications out there is they don't deal with the spiritual and if you don't, purpose is spiritual. In the mind, body, spirit realm, purpose falls into the spirit side. 
and companies are uncomfortable in the spirit side. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my clients are Christians. Uh, some of them are just looking at it and saying, well, we want to have a great culture. So they want to have an esprit de corps, a spirit of the people, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So at some level, there's a there's certainly an, an evolution that is going on, let's say, in the purpose community, where at the beginning, nobody talked about it. Today, I think in, in 2019, it was actually named a buzzword for the year. Mm -hmm. But it's just still confused and that frustrates me. Got just enough time to ask you this question. What is the most, let's say, encouraging thing that you're seeing with the young people coming up that would have to do with maybe they're seeing through all of the stuff of our culture and maybe landing somewhere close to where they need to land with regards to purpose? Well, uh, George Barna does studies a lot on different generations. And one of the things that it's very true about both the Gen X as well as the Gen Y is that they're really searching for meaning. Uh, the challenge is there's so many distractions vying for their me for mm -hmm. meaning and the confusion around identity is, uh, is both a, all of this is cause for great hope, but it's also a cause for great concern. Mm-hmm. So we've got some things, some vestiges of hope that uh, our culture brings. We keep praying for revival. That would be one major hope if that were to happen. But I know that I, I talked with David Clausen, who was with Family Research Council, and I did not know that they share an office up there with George Barna. They're at, uh, with Tony Perkins, and also he's part of their uh, team and, and works with George. That's pretty exciting. And he's been on my program. He was on my show last week. So there are a lot of things. And, and David would have felt the same way. There's, there are some things that are very positive that are happening, even in this world of calamity that's going on right now, that we can all trust. And one thing, obviously, we have going for us is the power of God. He's still God, by the way. <laughs> he is still God, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm grateful that he is. And I'm, I'm very clear that we are not. Yeah, I'm very glad I'm not in charge. <laughs> yeah, that is for sure. Hey, give us the website for how people can find out more about you. And I know there's a, a fee base for doing this two-word purpose uh, for people to check that, but it's a very modest fee. Won't you tell us about that? Sure, they can go to onpurpose.me uh, or onpurpose.com is our main website, but onpurpose.me is the specific tool and when you get there as a Christian, there's two choices. There's find my purpose or find my God-gifted purpose mm -hmm. and go to the God-gifted purpose option. Mm -hmm. And that way you can, uh, what happens is you'll go through a process where you're going to discern your two-word purpose statement. It'll then be emailed to you. You'll see it right on the screen, but then it'll be emailed to you. And you'll also get a course that comes with it for that's included. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin McCarthy. Always a joy to have you here. We'll be right back. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 
481-981-9095. So happy to have you with us here on this Friday. Don't forget, this is the weekend. We fall back Saturday night, a return to Eastern Standard Time, loss of daylight time that happens Saturday night. Don't forget to set your clocks. If you have the old-fashioned alarm clock, you'll need to make that change. All right, it's a time to go back into the archives. Lloyd Richardson was a diplomat under Ronald Reagan, and he's a bit of an expert on all things China. Here's my interview with Lloyd Richardson. So welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. You know, you served again under one of maybe the most revered leaders in our lifetime, Ronald Reagan. He It was really unclear just how substantial of a leader he was when he even first took the White House. But uh, it's proven that those years were, were really changing years for America, weren't they? Well, they certainly were both social, I mean, socially, economically, and certainly in matters of foreign policy. Almost a golden era, unfortunately. Now, your work in the U.S. Department uh, that uh, you served as a diplomat, you were dealing with China even back then, right? Yes. Uh, sad, sad to tell you, Mike, I, I've actually been in the China field since 1969, which was a few years before uh, Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon decided to turn to China to offset the Soviet Union. So I've I've been at it for a while, yes. But I was I was a Chinese language officer during the 80s when I was in the U.S. Foreign Service. And one of the few people that I've ever talked with, you're, you're very fluent in Chinese as well, correct? That, that's right. And I, I do want to mention that one of the things that I guess personally I'm proudest of is uh, I did work in Taiwan arms sales uh, when I was in the State Department. So uh, that was one of my one of my assignments, and uh, it was it was very uh, eye opening. I will say. You know, we hear a lot today, sir, about uh, foreign uh, interests and safety, and we all are seeing what's happening domestically here at our border. And yet, uh, the news stories would continue to come forward, saying that America's greatest threat is that with China. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, yes, I would. Uh, and just as a, as a as evidence of that, I would say it's important. I don't see this reported very much in the media, but in 2018, uh, Xi Jinping, the chairman of the Communist Party and and head of state in China, declared a new 30-year war on the United States and the West. Uh, so the Chinese understand this. It, it worries me that perhaps we in the U.S. are, are not quite so aware of, of what's happening. Uh, I think we're unaware of a lot that's happening, and, or maybe I should say that, have al- that has already happened. Now, uh, would you be among those that would believe that China's involvement with uh, COVID and, and the whole virus escaping from that area, would you believe that that was an intentional thing? Well, as I like to say, whether the release, it's, well, first of all, the research, of course, was intentional. How can anyone gain say that? Right. But whether the release itself was intentional, uh, let's just say if it wasn't, I, I like to say the Chinese Communist Party was taking careful notes uh, as as that situation 
evolved. And, and then, of course, they were not shy at all about continuing to pump millions of Chinese tourists and business people out around the world in the months immediately following you know, the original disclosure in November or December of 2019, possibly earlier, if you believe some sources, in October. And they continue to pace, uh, right, to keep sending their people abroad. So, so certainly parts of it were, were intentional. Mm. Well, we can all be thankful that at least we're in a better place today for the most part. I know that uh, there's always talk about reinstituting some of the lockdowns and things like that. And, it, you know, always it's kind of an un, uneasy feeling that we probably haven't seen the last of all of that kind of stuff that's gone on. But I'm grateful for where we are, at least today, and especially grateful for where we are here in Florida. Uh, you know, a, a lot of us hear about global influence, and we know that the people that are in the government right now in the United States seems to have connections with uh, this whole this whole uh, Chinese uh, cause and uh, the in, the businesses involved with all of that. What do you see as our number one threat in America with our involvement, either with or uh, against China? Well, to me, the first thing is. As you are no doubt aware, Mike, during the 1990s, our manufacturing industry and infrastructure in the United States was essentially gutted by moving jobs to China. And it is part of consistent Chinese policy since that time and still today. They want to become the manufacturer for the entire world because they well understand that if they control key parts of a country's manufacturing sector, then they really control that country's economy, don't they? Mm -hmm. And and through those through those influences, uh, whatever else they're doing, they certainly control government policy. So uh, so certainly, uh, this this business of free trade, we have to. I think Trump had that just right. Uh, we need to recognize that. The reason the Chinese have so much influence globally is that they are taking the very same dollars that they earn every day from trade with with the United States and other parts of the West. They turn right around and recycle those those trade dollars into buying influence in places like Africa, Central Asia, Latin America. So this is not this is all. It's all part of a, a, a comprehensive process. Mm -hmm. Do you see that what's going on in the world stage, let's say, in the Ukraine right now? Do you see all of that playing into the hands of the this goal that China would have? Ukraine, it seems to me, is a is a little bit of a different situation, and and I, I, to me, it's it's more a distraction than anything else. It certainly goes to um, larger strategic goals that the Chinese are pursuing with the Russians, with the Iranians. Uh, you know, one of the things, of course, they're very busy trying to do is to undermine the U.S. dollar in the trade, the international trade system now, mm -hmm. to try to get the uh, Chinese dollar to be a, a substitute in, in a lot of international trade transactions. Uh, 
but Ukraine, I don't, I don't see Ukraine per se as something that is necessarily uh, a situation that they help engineer. I mean, I think there was a lot. There are a lot of forces much closer to home, uh, certainly in the Democrat Party. You know, the idea of having Ukraine join NATO. That's an idea, which, by the way, I happen to think is a very bad idea, but it goes back to the Obama administration, and that's really where its roots are. Mm -hmm. So uh, is it all part of a major – is it all part of a global problem? Absolutely, but um, I'm not sure that it necessarily uh, – that specific situation necessarily works to advance China's interests. Having been somebody that served at the highest levels in government with regards to this relationship with this, uh, you know, what is considered to be an enemy of the U.S. by, by so many people, what, what is your biggest concern about our current government relationship with China right now? Well, to, to, put, to put one... To, to try to come up with one thing out of the dozen or so that are out there, uh, you know, certainly the military uh, is an obvious starting place. There's no question that uh, that China seeks to supplant our influence in the Pacific. They've been working very hard at that. They're, they've developed a blue water navy and have tried very hard to push their influence into the Indian Ocean surrounding India. Uh, they have relationships with Pakistan that they are using to gain access to the Indian Ocean uh, across the continent. So, so the military and strategic situation is obviously is obviously important. But to pick just one thing, when I have to believe that they are they engage in what they call unrestricted warfare, or what others call total war, and that's what they're doing with the West. So it isn't just the military part. They're pursuing, as you know, um, efforts to influence elections. They're seeking to to buy agricultural lands in the United States, attempt to to try to uh, make our our domestic food supplies less secure. They're trying to buy influence even in local governments, to say nothing of Washington. But of course, in Washington, you know, you have the whole problem of the American political class, which has been working since the 1980s very vigorously. To advance their own interests, which unfortunately, in my view, have been have been uh, not well aligned with the interests of the United States as a whole. Mm -hmm. Well, these are times you mentioned the whole uh, purchase of lands. That's something that's been addressed even in Florida by our our governor here. And so the acquisition of lands that's been going on for decades, right? It has, yes. Just just like our influence, their influence in in our in our corporations, uh, their influence in our uh, universities, which of course is, in case anyone fails to recall this, China has at any one time over 350,000 students, largely in our graduate, uh, our graduate student system in our universities, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, these people are largely studying in technical fields, right, in science and technology. So. Uh, out of 350,000 people every year, and there's a turnover in that, and a lot of them stay in the United States and go on into industry because of the way our visa system works. So 
do they have access? Of, of course they do, right down to the right down to the most granular levels and the smallest companies. Wow. You know, I think uh, all uh, Americans were worried and, and could see that this was not just a benign situation, but when that weather balloon or whatever that thing was, we know it was much more than just a weather balloon. It was uh, definitely a, an information gathering vehicle that floated over the United States only to be shot down after it did its job. Uh, wh- what do you nice, make of nice, that from nice, your position? Nice timing, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice timing. Yeah, let's wait till they were finished. That's right. I mean, this thing hung over some of the most strategic areas of uh, our defense in the United States, and and we kind of treated that like it was nothing. You mean like intercontinental ballistic missile silos? Exactly. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So, so what's the answer for this? What can we do? What should we be doing? I know you've written a lot on this. What what are you suggesting uh, American citizens can do? What should we be about? Well, actually, uh, Mike, I have a website called very. It's very original, LloydRichardson.com, and I I do have a, a, a section of the site that's devoted to China policy as well as to the spy novels that I write to kind of illustrate the Chinese influence globally. Uh, and there's a, there, there's certainly a long list of things, but you know the first step is is awareness. If we don't take seriously that the Chinese mean to defeat us strategically, then then nothing else can follow. So mm-hmm. that's the very first thing. And then from there, yes, there are things that, as you noted, what gives me some hope is that state legislatures. Are not waiting for Washington anymore, right? They're taking action to prevent various kinds of, of Chinese activity in their own states. But obviously, at some point, this is a this is a foreign policy matter, and, right, and Washington's right. going to have to get serious about it. Uh, and there's a, a long list of things uh, that I note in a white paper that I have posted on my website uh, that Congress will need to do. Uh, but it affects everything. I mean, you, you hear about it every day in the news, things like where your investment dollars are going, right? Having having your, your retirement savings being invested in Chinese companies. Uh, how smart is that, right? right. If, if these are people who are, who are determined to destroy you. We need to wake so, up and get busy. What's that website one more time, we, we Lloyd? Do. Right. It's LloydRichardson.com. LloydRichardson.com. And I really thank you for being with me today and and helping to kind of uh, cause the coffee to go off. And maybe we can smell it and wake up, huh? That's what we need to do. (laughs) I'm all for coffee anytime, (laughs) That's right. Well, God bless you, Lloyd. And thank you for being with me. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. 